This is Mark Lemley from Stanford Law School, and you're listening to IP Fridays. Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 66 of IP Fridays. In today's uh, episode, we have a very special guest, Ron Alvarez, who is the director of IP investigations at XG Consultants Group. He will talk with us about the connections between organized crime and counterfeit goods and enforcement of IP rights against counterfeiters. But before we jump into the interview, I want to tell you two things. The European Patent Office just uh, published a study about the importance of patents to the European economy. And the study finds that 42% or 5.7 trillion euros of the annual GDP and 90% of the EU's trade with the rest of the world originate from IPR-intensive industries. 82 million jobs, both direct and indirect, are also the result of these sectors and are marked by the prevalence of higher-than-average wages. If you want to learn more about the full study or read the press release, you can go to the EPO's website at www.epo.org. Also, the website of the Irish Examiner reports that Amazon has filed a patent for a mini-drone that can be used to help to find your car. The mini-drone can be voice-controlled and used to help locate cars or lost children in crowds. The drone can receive voice commands from a user such as find my car and then begin the search. The drone can then be controlled if needed via an app or the user's smartphone um, that is connected to the craft. Another possible use that is mentioned in the patent is the use by enforcement agencies just like the police. The drone is depicted to be small enough to sit on the shoulder or the radio of a police officer. If you want to learn more about this, you can go to irishexaminer.com and search for Amazon Drone. Now, let's head into the interview with Ron Alvarez and what organized crime has to do with counterfeit goods. Rolf, I am pleased to be joined by Ron Alvarez, the director of IP investigations at New York City-based XG Consultants Group. Ron is an experienced investigator of global IP crimes and has helped his clients in cases spanning medical research to misuse of a TV network trademark. Ron also has considerable experience in handling fraud and money laundering cases, which has led him to travel to the Arabian Peninsula during a past investigation. Ron served as a lieutenant with the New York City Police Department, where he was also the supervisor of investigations. Ron holds a BA from John Jay College. He is also a graduate of the FBI National Academy, located in Quantico, Virginia, and a graduate of the Interpol International IP Crime Investigators College. Welcome, Ron, to IP Fridays. Well, thank you, Ken. It's a pleasure to be on your program. 
Excellent. Ron, uh, I know you've been listening to our program for a while. How did you find out about us? Well, you know, I it was purely uh, by chance. I happened to be uh, just looking for different uh, IP resources to learn about more about the business uh, on the Internet, and I just uh, I stumbled upon your program, and in the past, since about May of this year, I've listened to about 20 episodes, so it's been wonderful. Great program. Well, great. We're so glad that to have you as a listener and now as a guest on the program. So let's jump right in. Let's talk about the proceeds of IP crime. Is organized crime behind a lot of IP infringement? Ken, uh, yeah, that's the, uh, you know, that certainly appears to be the case. And um, there's a lot of very strong indicators that that, that has happened. Um, you know, the same, the same uh, typical strategies that are applied by organized crime syndicates um, to deal in other types of crimes such as drug trafficking and, and human trafficking. I mean, these, mm -hmm. uh, these types of strategies also apply very effectively to IP crime. And, uh, and certainly in the human trafficking area, for example, um, you know, human trafficking leads to, you know, unfortunately illegal immigrants often that are uh, in sweatshops producing uh, counterfeit property, um, mm -hmm. and they're uh, they're also used, of course, to sell counterfeit items on the streets, such as DVDs and CDs and and all sorts of things. Yes, and, uh, and the thing, of course, about it as well is that one major reason why. Um, IP crime is so attractive to organized crime is because it really is a low-risk and high-yield uh, enterprise. Um, you know, the penalties for, you know, violating, um, you know, IP infringement, uh, you know, laws are just very, very uh, minimal. And, uh, and they know that, and it's a very profitable business. Mm -hmm. Do they view it as a cost of doing business? I think so. I think they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's the way that's the way it appears. Now, how do you go about disrupting a a criminal's IP theft operations? What can brand owners do? Well, the um, I mean the whole objective, uh, you know, overall is to try to disrupt the supply chain at as at as many stops as possible. So you have the ordering uh, process, you have the manufacturing stage, of course you have the shipping stage, you have the the opportunity to uh, to intercede at the border. Uh, mm -hmm. Then you have, you know, and then this day and age, it, it's amazing the storage facilities that are available out there. Uh, it seems like there's been an explosion of storage in the last decade or so. And what kind of yeah, what kind of storage are we talking about? Yeah, just uh, generally speaking, just public storage facilities. Um, mm -hmm. Recently, here in New York, for example, in Queens. Uh, there was a, um, they did a raid, the uh, NYPD, as well as Homeland Security, did a raid, and they recovered about $2.2 million of merchandise, such as mm -hmm. Louis Vuitton handbags and North Face jackets. Um, and this was just in a regular storage facility. And part of the strategy of trying to deal with that storage explosion and problem with counterfeits being housed there is trying to arrange with the owners of these storage facilities to notify, uh, you know, law enforcement when they pick up on certain, you know, patterns and uh, sure. operating with law enforcement. Yep. Yeah. 
And customs, what, what role does customs play? And is it solving the problem or is there other things that brand owners need to do? Well, it's certainly, I mean, it's certainly an important part of the, um, the way IP crime has to be combated. I mean, we, just mm-hmm. can't, we have to continuously resist, um, you know, counterfeit property from coming into the marketplace uh, in the U.S. Uh, but, you know, the, the simple truth of the matter is, is that customs can only, it's only, you know, a drop in the bucket what they can do. Um, you know, the last figures that I saw from one particular report that was done in 2013 is that worldwide the counterfeits ran into about $460 billion, and, and maybe, or, or speaking of just the U.S., $5 billion was recovered at U.S. borders. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of money. $5 billion in property is, but it's certainly a drop in a bucket. So, so it's not in and of itself going to solve the problem. Yeah. You talk about going deeper into the organized crime operations and that there are various ways to do that, including following the proceeds of crime. What do you mean by that? And, and how do you talk, walk me through it? What can we do to trace and to make sense of, of the operations? Well, the, the objective there is to, to, to try to develop uh, financial information, particularly bank information that that you can uh, that you can track. Mm-hmm. And, uh, sometimes this information can come through a custom interception. Sometimes customs can pull that information. Sometimes it comes through you know getting documents at raids or seizures. And sometimes maybe you can get an informant at a particular counterfeit site and maybe get financial information that you can follow up on. Mm-hmm. The uh, the objective is to. Take that information and see if you can get, get bank account, if you can get bank account information, and, and try to trace it to its final uh, stop, wherever it is on the globe. And um, <clears throat> the, the, the challenge with that, of course, is that even if you have account information, um, you can't necessarily get to the uh, bank records unless you have a subpoena. If law enforcement is not, you know, uh, get providing a subpoena for that purpose, then then there are different ways to try to get a subpoena served on banks. And one of the things, one of the strategies that we came to use uh, was the, if you can develop information that indicates that the money has ended up in a foreign country, um, then you can submit a complaint with that foreign country's uh, law enforcement agency, get yourself a complaint report, a complaint number, and give it to your attorney um, here in the U.S. And and an attorney here in the U.S. can go to a U.S. district court and get uh, subpoenas to be served on the banks. Mm -hmm. Um, And it turns out that that statute apparently that's applied, I'm not an attorney, but... Uh, it's my understanding that it's 28 U.S.C. 1782. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we've had the experience of actually getting the bank records and uh, and going through them and uh, being able to watch it bounce, the money that is, bounce from bank to bank until it gets to its final stop. And, uh, and often the money is in, you know, places like uh, in Eastern Europe or 
it ends up in uh, you know someplace like Cyprus or Lebanon or or even you know Asia, uh, and then the whole idea, of course, is now that you know that the money's there, or at least was deposited in that bank account, can you try to recover any of these funds since they are mm-hmm. proof of crime? And that's the challenge because. Unfortunately, this is really money laundering, what they're doing. And, uh, you know, once it gets to that final stop, that account information or the name behind that account may not be a bona fide company or a bona fide person. may just be a shell company. And often what the, you know, what the counterfeiters will do is just take the money, close the account, and leave. But if it turns out to be an actual... Uh, established company, a bona fide company that has assets, then you can, uh, you know, take a shot at uh, trying to recover that money by through litigation. And um, you know, on one occasion, for example, we had we had a case where money ended up. We knew that it ended up in this particular country, and we weren't able to find out how much money was actually in the account, like how solvent was the company. And uh, we were able to reach out to law enforcement out there. And although they wouldn't tell us the exact amount, they were able to indicate or just tell us that there were substantial funds in the account and that it was worthwhile for our attorneys representing the client to actually pursue uh, that particular account's assets. And uh, and that's what we did. And uh, and there's actually a couple of cases pending. Interesting. What are some of the telltale signs of money laundering? Well, it's um, basically what what it does is, you know, typical. The money often goes through. It has to. It often goes through a U.S. you know money center bank, and. Um, you know, of course, the amount of money transferred is a key. The the number of times the money goes from bank to bank is a key. Also mm-hmm. typical of money laundering is it's a brief retention time at each bank. It, uh, it just jumps very quickly. It doesn't stay in, in any one bank for a very long period of time. And then there's okay. competitive SWIFT codes involved as well. So this, that's kind of like the typical profile. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So are you finding that this is happening often in the cases that you're pursuing? Is this a, an upward trend? Yeah, we, uh, that's, been, that's been our experience. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, you know, organized crime, you know, obviously their, their strategy is they don't want you to get to their money. And, uh, and our strategy is the only way you could really hurt them in a, in, a, in a severe way is to get to their assets, to get to their money. So they go out of their way to try to hide it. And, uh, and our objective is to, to track it down. Try yeah. Let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk uh, for the remainder of our interview about social media, a very important topic for brand holders. We know that IP infringement through social media uh, and on the Internet in general is a serious problem and it's only getting worse. What are some of the different ways brand owners are attacked on the Internet? Well, it's, um, yeah, it's really a, it's, it's an incredible problem, as you well know, Ken, and, uh, you know, often brands, you know, a big, a big fundamental part of what, what these criminals do is they impersonate. They impersonate your, 
a brand, they either create their own website and your brand name, or they or they use a social media site to transact business, or they use one of the auction sites, you know, one of the marketplace sites. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole e-commerce way of uh, transacting business is really a a gold mine for counterfeiters. Um, so, you know, our you know, whenever we're speaking to any brand owner, of course we, you know, the standard recommendations that I think that, that you and any IP attorney would, would make is you should really register your trademark and logo and design. You know, yes. You should register with customs. But also key to uh, so what we often advise is that you should really know your brand's Internet presence, and you have to really be proactive about that. Um, you know, one of the one of the tips that we we pass on is you should really register your brand on social media sites as they pop up, even the ones that you don't really plan to use to market your your product. Uh, the whole idea is that you should really um, you know have a presence on that site so that if a counterfeiter tries to create your brand on that site, you know the you know the you know the people that manage that particular server that particular site would recognize that and they'll be able to mm-hmm. notify you and and that site will be taken down and it won't be accepted um, yes and so being proactive and sort of taking the lead on on registrations on these various uh, social media sites is important yeah a- absolutely and and re- and considering if you you could either try to monitor the uh you know, try to monitor the internet yourself, and, yeah. uh, and that's useful because even the whack-a-mole type of way of taking down these sites is useful because you've got to keep on resisting. But another consideration is uh, a social monitoring, a social media monitoring service mm-hmm. that you could. So information can be developed where you get not just the individual websites, but you develop information about the network of websites that are using, for example, the same merchant account. And, uh, and then you have an opportunity to maybe take out the merchant account, and then as a result, uh, you might be able to take out hundreds, if not more, of the websites that are attached to that one merchant account. So, but it all starts with you really have to monitor it yourself, or you have to get a service, a professional service that does that. And yes. So they can help you. Now, Tell us a little bit about phishing. You know, we've been hearing a lot with banks over the last five or seven years. Phishing is a big problem. What What have you seen with phishing? Is Is that also an upward trend? And what What are brand owners doing with that? Yeah. Maybe you can explain the phishing. And this is phishing with a P H, not F I S H. Well, I mean, the the fundamental uh, you know idea behind phishing is that they're they're trying to get into your personal information. They're trying to. They're going to use different ways, whether it's on a social media site or creating their own website, which leads the, you know, the uh, the consumer to submit information onto a phishing link, and uh, and before you know it, um, that consumer finds out that their identity has been stolen, and it creates all sorts of problems for them. Yeah. So uh, it is a major, it it is one of the major internet trends, no doubt about it. Internet crime trends. Yes. Right now. Excellent. Um, 
Well, can you tell us a little bit more about what what you do on a day-to-day basis at your business? I'm, I was in, intrigued after reading your company's website. What are some of the things that, that your company does, and how can people get in touch with you, uh, Ron? Right. Well, we, uh, we've developed a, of course, we, we are specializing, or at least an aspect of our business specializes in uh, IP investigations. And, mm-hmm. and we're, since we consider tracking the proceeds of crime so important, we, we're, we've developed an expertise in doing that, getting records and, uh, and tracking information to its final destination and assistant attorneys uh, representing the clients in, in getting you know, assets returned. Um, as far as contacting me, um, you could reach me at my uh, email address, um, my the company is XG Consultants Group, Inc. Uh, my email address is R Alvarez, uh, R A L V A R E Z, one word at xgconsultantsgroup.com, or you can reach me uh, through my blog because my blog also has my contact info, which is ipcrimeblog.com. Ron, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today and being on IP Fridays. Pleasure to be with you, Ken. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com iTunes and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.